2: Can you see it? Did you
3: know was Check with the puck comes right to Pedersen,
2: who tries a back pass for Besser In with a shot he scores. Moments notice. At arm's
0: You're listening to Canucks Conversation. Quinn Hughes beat reporter here. Like I don't, I don't <laughs> cover the Canucks. Yeah. I cover Quinn Hughes and what he's doing to the Canucks. A member of the Nation Network of podcasts and delivered by DoorDash.
3: Just wave the guy and get Demko involved. I wanted of in and down guy. Wow, really? we should do a radio show together.
1: <laughs> right on! I want to fist bump you right now. What Thurl steals, cutting in, shoots, scores.
3: Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation presented by the great folks at Zephyr Epic. Be sure to use our promo code Hockey Season, capital H, capital S, all one word, Hockey Season. That'll get you $5 off your order uh, at ZephyrEpic.com, and free shipping on orders above $50. That's on me. I uh, did not mute the YouTube chat there. I was about to yell at Aaron. But I'll take that one myself, that's my bad. Here we go, from the top. I don't do this often, but uh, I think that was a pretty good intro. Joining me in studio here as David Quadrelli, the normal intro guy, is on vacation. Harman Dial, Harm. how are you doing, man?
0: I'm doing great, man, I'm jacked up, got Canucks news, and I'll say I'm impressed by how you powered through that uh, intro without skipping up, because, <laughs> because it wasn't just the intro music playing again, but man, at least in my ears, it was really, really loud. Yes. And so, good on you, man, overcoming the mistake. You
3: know how many mistakes we've made in the time of doing this show. There's a lot of mistakes uh, through and through. Not only just on the YouTube stuff, the podcast, everything. That's just like the Canucks, we live at this we point learn. they
0: just gotta. They've made a lot of mistakes, yeah. but look, just gotta move on, overcome it, get back on track.
3: And that's the thing. I feel like we're gonna have a good show. We've made some mistakes in the past. The Canucks have made some mistakes in the past. I think they made a pretty damn good signing today. We're all in the same boat here. This is the Canucks Conversation. My name's Chris Faber. Our producer, Aaron Bordado. Aaron, we don't ever ask you off the top, how are you doing at the start of the episodes? We never know. Are you, like, screwing around with uh, graphics or video, audio, or are you, just, you just zone out for the first 40 minutes?
1: Uh, I zone in for the very beginning. There's definitely times when I kind of catch myself zoning out or reading all the nonsense in the chat. But, boys, I'm doing well. It's Friday. I got my buddy Justin Kleffbaum over my go. shoulder right here, hanging out with me. It's a fine Friday. Couldn't be happier. Happy to see Harm, too.
3: Yeah, absolutely. We love Harm on Fridays. It makes the show feel I feel more comfortable doing it on a Friday. We're like, what day do we want to do this week? Yeah. Friday made the most sense uh, for all of us. Hey, let's dive in. Normally, we do a bunch of this BS off the top, but we got Vancouver Canucks news that happened right at noon today on Friday. Patrick Alvin announced a two-year contract signing of free agent center Pius Suter. Harm, your first thoughts on this? Because, listen, I've I've been reading The Athletic. We're going to get to your stuff about uh, Elias Patterson and the contract situation a little bit later. But you guys wrote about Pius Suter a ton uh, at The Athletic for a guy that you want the Canucks to go out and approach. And now that the deal's done, $1.6 million, what are your thoughts on the deal right now?
0: I love it. It's a fantastic gift for the Canucks because – I like the Teddy Bluger signing, considering the value, of the one year of term, keeping the cap hit below $2 million, especially his defensive skill set, the shutdown ability. But offensively, I wasn't convinced that there was enough there for him to be a third-line center on most teams. In fact, I would argue that he definitely would not be that type of uh, player on, uh, on a playoff-bound team, especially when you look at his time in Pittsburgh, right? The Penguins... With Jeff Carter centering that third line, had one of the worst third lines in the NHL. They were consistently looking for new combinations, and they didn't didn't even look towards Bluger promoting him into a 3C role as as a feasible option. Despite Bluger having, in previous years, been a 3C at times, there just wasn't enough offensive upside there. And even when he goes to Vegas, Vegas has ridiculously deep center depth. And so he's in and out of lineup again, more so in a 4C role, so you like the signing, you like the value. You much prefer to go in after, let's say, J.T. Comfort or Orion O'Reilly, but then you're thinking, okay, is he quite good enough for a 3 C role? And this is where Suter is a fantastic addition because he has genuinely played in top-9 roles since he entered the NHL as uh, originally a European signing for the Chicago Blackhawks. He's got legit middle-six experience. He's coming off a year where he only had, I believe, 24 points in 79 games. But you got to keep in mind, I believe 14 or 15 of those points were goals, right? So this is a guy that consistently chips in 14 to 15 goals, gives you the secondary offense that I wasn't sure that the Canucks had enough of with their lineup currently constructed. And you tack on the fact that you've got multiple options now at center ice in terms of how you can construct your bottom six. And I think going into free agency and in, in talking about the center ice position we all knew the Canucks needed an upgrade there mm-hmm. I think the exact balance that a lot of us were sort of banging the drum for was try and find bargain signings go after multiple of those options and plug those holes from a short term perspective especially because we'll talk about the short term ramifications but even more medium term it leaves the the door open for Atu Ratu, if he hits as a prospect in a couple of years, he's a 3C contender. In two years, in two, three years, he could be that type of player. And let's say in an alternate timeline where the Canucks are feeling so much pressure and they go out and, and sign a conf or, or an O'Reilly, then all of a sudden it blocks the path. And the whole value of having a young player like Ratu when they hit is that he's so cheap and you could fill in an important, typically expensive filter role like 3C with such a cheap player. So it gives them flexibility in the medium term and suitor has the legit 2-8 chops to be a third-line center, so I love this pickup for the Canucks.
3: Yeah, lots of excitement here in the chat. I can obviously see it, and you brought it up. Like The defensive numbers are really impressive. We do have a chart here from HockeyViz that we'll pull up for the folks on YouTube. Just seeing how how much he can make an impact, not only at 5-on-5 five five defensively, but I was kind of blown away with the expected goals per 60 numbers dropping down 15% off of what had happened there with the Red Wings last year. We're talking about a guy who's not only going to be a good two-way player at 5-on-5, five five, but you mentioned the off He's had double-digit, even-strength goals in all three of his NHL seasons. That's impressive. Actually, like a minimum of 12, at least, in each season. And you brought it up. He's played three years in the NHL. He scored 14 goals once, scored 15 goals next season, and then this past season, you mentioned it as well, 14 goals for him. So I look at it as like P.S. Suter was playing with Adam Ernie and Lucas Raymond, who's very talented but still very young. Uh, Oscar Sundquist were his wingers. Like. The Canucks, I feel like, are going to put him into a spot where, yeah, he put up 14 goals last year, but now maybe he's playing with a Brock Besser, a Connor Garland, a Vasily Podkolzin, and Niels Hoglander. I feel a little bit better about those names than the names I just mentioned from Detroit. I can see the offense jumping up, so I'm wondering, like, could he still maintain that defensive ability that we've liked so much about the player when he was a free agent? But now that he's here and in the roster, I think there's more upside for the offense from what we see about you know, how he fits in the lineup compared to maybe an upside for defense here.
0: Yeah, I, I expect him not necessarily to have an uptick in goals because, again, he's consistently been in the 14 15 range. Yeah, he's proved that's a, that's that's a, a sweet zone, spot. Yeah. But points wise, 30 plus is definitely a reasonable expectation if he stays um, healthy. And the whole point of why the Canucks were able to land him at this point in free agency is because he's coming off a down year, right? That's otherwise. If he had another year where he was clipping at, let's say, you know, close to half a point per game, then teams would have been lining up and, and willing to pay him like over $3 million, which is what he got on his last contract. Right. And that would have priced him probably out of the Canucks' range. So this is exactly the type of opportunity the Canucks should be capitalizing on. And the other reason why he's probably undervalued is because we can talk about how great his defensive numbers are, but... In the eyes of a lot of teams, especially ones that value size, probably don't view him as a prototypical checking center because he's 5'11 and a little bit slight, which is a good thing for a team like the Canucks because it creates that opportunity that otherwise probably wouldn't uh, have been there. The other way of sort of looking at it too is you even look at the 5-on-5 production historically over the last three years. Him compared to JT Comfer, because Drance and I had done a piece going into free agency about, and this was a national piece, not even Canucks specific about top 10 sort of looking at bargain options of like, hey, here's the splashy expensive option. And then here's the bargain one who can probably provide a lot of comparable value at a fraction of the cost. You look at Comfer versus Pius Suter, five on five offensive numbers in terms of points per 60 goals, nearly identical. And that's where you look at the Canucks. We've come to almost kind of brand them over the last few years as offensively explosive, but defensively give up a ton and they're a disaster. But what's funny is you look at the five and five numbers for the Canucks, even offensively, they're not that impressive, right? They've, their offensive prowess has mostly come from, okay, when Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes are on the ice and when the power play is going, which has consistently been a force. So, they haven't had enough even strength offense even. And that's where Suter coming in again, his overall point totals don't look that impressive, but all that production is five and five. And the Canucks are absolutely going to need that. So this is a fantastic addition for the Canucks. It makes me a lot more confident too. The other thing to keep in mind is if let's say you run into a scenario where Pedersen gets hurt, God forbid, or Miller gets hurt, Instead of having Teddy Bluger or Nils Amon as your next man up, as your second-line center, right. you'll at least have a guy like Suter who can fill in competently or if if Miller is really, really struggling defensively for whatever reason at center. gives you more options to play with. You can shift Miller to the wall, have Suter play center. So it's important even as an insurance policy because as we know team always runs runs into injuries
3: absolutely and I think the interesting thing for me is going to be kind of what you mentioned there like it's some flexibility in the lineup and I think we all knew that there needed to be something addressed with the 3c position I think a lot of us knew that this would be a deal that we would like like this is not something that came out of left field like you know like Brandon Sutter getting a PTO with Edmonton it's not like that like we we all had an idea that Sutter might be Signing with the Vancouver Canucks is something Rick Dollywell's been on for I don't know how many months now. But you, in the fact that you guys have brought him up so much at the Athletic as a potential signing that you like, or somebody coming in, as you mentioned, yeah, you don't need to go to JT Comfort. Instead, go with a lower guy who's making a little bit less, but can bring you a good amount of what you mentioned with Conforte. And the five on five is going to be interesting because you brought it up, and Suter didn't have. He had more. He has more shorthanded goals over his career than power play goals, so that's where he's going to really fit in. And, man, we've seen the Canucks really attack that penalty kill unit of theirs this coming offseason, right? Like, they have changed a lot of the bodies that you're going to see out there when they have four men on the ice. I, I, I guess I'll ask you this question. Like, do you see Suter being, like, the first guy over? He was the third most used forward uh, in Detroit last year on the penalty kill, but really impressive penalty killing numbers. And I don't think he's the best in the face-off, Dot. He's got a career win percentage of 46.7%. So it's not like he's a, an absolute animal in the in the dot, but – you know, 46% I guess it's fine it's not like he's under 40 or anything but it's certainly not impressive but at 1.6 million dollars like I really think the Canucks did a good job here addressing that 3c position and as for a penalty killer like I could see him being a guy who maybe bumps JT Miller off of the penalty kills we saw somebody in the chat mentioned it earlier like is that a situation that that really changes the outlook at the penalty kill as a whole adding a guy like Suter now
0: yeah, I don't think it changes anything in the sense that Bluger is still my first guy for first all of the boards as yep. a as centerman, okay. taking the draws, especially which Alvin noted his um, Bluger's PK faceoff numbers as well, which is absolutely critical, right? You need a guy that can consistently win those faceoffs because when you're first unit, you lose that first draw, man, the other team set up right away. Whereas if you win that initial draw, get the initial clearance, not only does it, clear 20, 25 seconds off the clock, just like that. But then if the team has issues entering the zone, if they are struggling connecting passes, like before you know it, it it's like you get the initial clear, you get one or two stops at the neutral zone. You might've already killed off a minute mm. of, uh, of that penalty. So that's why with was and his face off ability. I think he'll, he'll be, he'll be my, he'd be my choice as a first center, over the boards, especially because among heavy usage penalty killers, he has one of the best goals against rates among all NHL forwards. So he's got, he, I don't want to say elite, but might be elite. Yeah, very close to that type of track record. So Suter, I look at as great second PK. Maybe you have him alongside uh, Elias Pettersson. Have two guys there that um, can both, in a pinch, take draws and. Can, um, and can apply a lot of pressure. And we saw how effective Pedersen was on the second unit. So he'll make an impact there for sure.
3: I was writing the news story for Canucks Army, and you should be able to see it by now. It should be edited and put up there. But I, I brought up, like, what's the best-case scenario? In my eyes, it was like he scores 20 goals. He finds a little bit more offense with, let's say, he has really good wingers and finds a little bit more offense there, adds two or three shorthanded goals. That's kind of best-case scenario. And then I wrote, and this is the worst-case scenario, And I kind of struggled for a second to, like, give an actual answer there. Like, what is the worst-case scenario here with Suter? He's on a $1.6 million contract for the next two years. He's making less money than Teddy Bluger, $300,000 less. So that's why I think the contract even looks better. The fact that you have him for two years and less money than Bluger, like, I can see... I guess I'm trying to think, what is the worst-case scenario here? Like, he just... Like, I I don't know. It's not like he's going to fall completely off the map at 27. He scored, like you said, 14 goals in each of his NHL seasons. So I feel like that's going to happen. Like, he's going to get you 10 goals. He's probably going to play in a 3C role and be defensively responsible. But what would be the worst case do you think could happen here with this contract, if anything?
0: Well, that's the whole point is with these value signings, it's not the contract. It's the fit in the sense of, okay, if this guy doesn't pan out, if he doesn't mesh with with uh, with his wingers in a potential third line role, then we're still kind of hooped at three C. We we were still looking at that as a weakness for our overall lineup. But I mean, that's you live with that risk all all day long, as opposed to going out and overpaying a guy in free agency.
3: Uh, let get to some comments here in the YouTube uh, YouTube chat. Ted Wong says, "Thanks for jumping on and having a pod, boys." Uh, Jimmy Grimmy says, "Pretty stoked on this signing. Great numbers slash term as well." And Brian Troy asks, I don't know if you've already talked about it, but Rick Dollywell says Canucks can be cap-compliant without a trade. Any idea how that might happen? So if Tanner Pearson and Tucker Pullman are both on LTIR, the Canucks are under the cap. But There's been a lot of little rumblings about Tanner Pearson coming back, being healthy, and skating on the ice and these type of things. Without that, like if Pearson's healthy, the Canucks are over the cap by a few million dollars, uh, a couple of million dollars at least. So I'm curious. Do you think that there's another move, and any idea what it might be? I think Tyler Myers is six million dollars is the big number that we all look at. But if if Pearson comes back, they kind of need to clear up about two point seven, two point eight million dollars worth of space. That's not a a small penny to kind of throw away. That's that's something you have to attach to get that money off their books.
0: Yeah. So a few things to note right off the bat. As a, as a. Disclaimer, I haven't had a chance to play around in cap-friendly yet. Literally, the news happened just as we were coming over, and, and that would be my chance to you know, f- fiddle around and, and move bodies around and, and that sort of thing. So that's an important qualifier for what I'm about to say. But before the suitor signing, I remember even then there was this conversation about, okay, Canucks hurt over the cap if Pearson's healthy. The thing is, you have to remember, you don't have to play, first of all, with a 23-man roster. Right. That's that's just the maximum. We've seen plenty of examples of teams that if they're struggling with cap compliance and they're technically over the cap, they can just send some extra bodies down to Abbott or Abbotsford or whatever their equivalent of the, if, the, if they're AHL affiliate and, um, and especially if you have guys that are waiver exempt, it's, it's a pretty seamless sort of solution. In fact, it's pretty common. You see it a lot. Um, second,
3: and just to add to that, for people who don't might have missed a little bit, like you could go down to having your roster be twenty bodies. Yeah, right. If you do that, you're saving a minimum of a million. You're, well, you're saving like a maximum of one point one million dollars on each, so you can clear up three point $3. three million dollars of cap space by sending three guys down.
0: To the also, with, when Suter signs, it's not one point six extra added to the books because he's taking up one of the roster spots that somebody else would have taken.
3: Yeah, so if you're taking a guy who's nine hundred K. You're adding 700,000 exactly. or something like so that. So
0: that's not, that's not a prohibitive amount to sort of play around with. Uh, next, these NHL teams are very meticulous about planning these things beforehand. Yes. They're not going to just sign a guy and then be like, oh, crap, we haven't looked at all our scenarios <laughs> for how we're going to be cap compliant. Like, they're 100% thinking about this. There's no way that they did this without for sure ensuring that there are multiple avenues for them to be cap compliant. Uh, And um, so I'm not really worried about it. And the other thing, too, is it's a pretty hefty assumption to think that Pearson will be ready for the start of the season just because, like, think about it. This guy's had how many surgeries on his wrist, right? So he may be healthy for camp, but to be fit, to be ready to play NHL games. I mean, like I could I can say from experience, like I had one really bad wrist break bone was out of place and everything one surgery. And like, man, that was tough to recover from and get back up to speed and playing at, at, um, at, um, at my, at, at my previous level. Then now you factor that, okay, Pearson's had, I mean, uh, Dollywell probably has the exact number, but what was it? Five, six surgeries. On the same hand, and you're talking about that, yeah. playing at an NHL caliber level, like there's still a good chance that he may end up on LTIR, even if he shows up to camp or or, or that sort of thing. I mean, how many times have we seen Pullman show up to camp, and then it's like, it's unfortunate, but it's just he, he's not able to play, right? So right. I, I, I really hope for Pearson's sake that he's able to play and that he's able to get healthy really do because, man, he's been through a lot, and he didn't deserve to go through any of this. It must be an absolute nightmare. But it's still a lot, in my opinion, to think that he'll he'll be ready to play NHL games right from October.
3: Yeah, I've been saying it for a long time. I'm still going to be very surprised if he's – and I, I can't even say, like, I, I can't see him being 100% healthy at the start of training camp. I can't see it. I, I understand, you know, advances in modern medicine, <laughs> I'll say. That was a good one, but uh, I just I don't know. I, I really think it's going to be very difficult for him to to not only like be one hundred percent healthy for training camp, but I also think there's a difference between you you mentioned breaking your wrist, right? You can still type now. You made a recovery fine. You're probably able to type like a few weeks after living your life and being healthy. Especially with a wrist injury, is very different than when you're actually in a hockey game. Like yeah, and I, not I remember just a
0: that hockey game. NHL yes. highest level. and in Pearson's case, already talking about a guy that. He, it's not as if he was a superstar, right? Yeah. He was sort of on, he was struggling before, before he got hurt there. So it's, man, I wish him all the best of luck because sure. this is a, going to be a tough road to recovery.
3: Yeah. And, really loved guy in the room everybody talks about how much they like him the jt miller conversation which uh, i guess we'll transition to a little bit here unless there's anything else on suitor you wanted to kind of dive in on i'm no you know everybody's gonna get their deep dives out i know you and i will pull if you watch a lot of tape tonight for sure and we'll have some well i'm on vacation I, I'm oh really
0: technically on yeah i is gonna be responsible for that just came so. here
3: to, to take some of that big canucks convo money eh and then uh Take that to the bar on the weekend. I see what you're up to, Arm. Uh, yeah, I'll be spending a lot of time watching him tonight anyways. Yeah. Uh, we'll have some stuff to get up uh, on Canucks Army. Be sure to check that out. Uh, but let's let's switch gears a little bit to the JT Miller interview with the Cam and Strick podcast because there's a lot to take away from it. Did you listen to that, or are you yeah. really on vacation hard? No, I listened to okay, it. Okay, because Quads is on vacation so hard, he doesn't even know uh, who Pia Suter is. So like he, he's taking a <laughs> real vacation. Uh, but the interview was... Like, I'm seeing a lot of reaction on social media of uh, not necessarily people saying this exact phrase, but, like, there's a lot of real big hype about JT Mail. I've seen a couple be like, this is our captain. This is captain material, the way he talks about it. Like, there's a guy, like a couple guys in the media that I don't like, and that was the big quote to kind of take away. But there was a lot of other things in the conversation that I, like, the Andy and Strick podcast uh, did a very good job making him comfortable, I'll say that. Like, yeah. they, they propped him up. Uh, They made him feel very comfortable on that podcast, and he was very honest. I think that came from the comfortability that he had on the show. What were some of the big things that you took away? And we do have the quote about uh, writing a book from the last couple seasons. We'll we'll play that whenever you want. But what was the one big thing that you maybe took away from the interview that uh, obviously probably made its rounds on social media as well?
0: Well, overall, it was just the takeaway that I, I loved the interview. I thought it was honest. I thought it was authentic. It was transparent. It was JT Miller speaking his mind. And I don't think there's enough of that in hockey. It's hard to get a player to do that. These guys hide behind cliches and I get it right. Because this is exactly what they fear. Not Miller because he doesn't really care what other people think. (laughs) But this idea of when you speak your mind, it's everybody's going nuts on social media. It's polarizing all, all the pressure. Um, Peterson's
3: bad for that. He's, you know, I don't want to give you a quote or I don't want to give well you a story exactly thing, like right?
0: Peterson's terrified. And I understand it. Yeah. Right. Because like it's different for Miller. He, he's wired different in yeah. just being able to not care about the outside noise at all. But we need more of this. I mean, you look at the NBA in comparison, <laughs> it's,
3: it's, you can't compare them. <laughs> well, Right? Like it's really, so much more fun. Can. Yeah, like it's Guys so guys are
0: fun. just able to speak their truth, and it's normal, and it makes the game exciting. It adds more personality, more spice, more flavor. Uh, I mean, even look at Bo, Hor- Bo Horvat when he had that whatever comment at the uh, post-game tell uh, that walk-off interview. Yeah, like, that's good for the game. Like, right. w- sure, you can villainize him all you want. I, I will not by any means, criticize any Canucks fan for not liking that and being like, okay, screw Bo. That's your, that's the fans uh, fans. is Right. But I'll also, you know, sit here and say if if Bo wants to do that, let him do that. If that's how he feels, totally. Let him let him speak. It's good for the game. So I feel
3: like he held back. He could have been a lot more honest, right? Like that was yeah. still like a, a toned down version of what you probably, if, if you got him with a couple of drinks and like a glass of wine, you know, like but seriously, probably say very like, different. We things. need
0: we need more of this. Was my overall takeaway, and I have always been appreciative of the fact that Miller is honest with you, never hide, hides behind cliches. And that's why, for me, I've had a fantastic relationship with him since he came to Vancouver. Uh, he's always been accommodating. I have nothing but excellent things to say about his professionalism dealing with uh, with me as a media, me- media member. And uh, I have absolutely... Look, it doesn't mean I agree with everything he says. For sure. But I respect his right to say everything that he did, and uh, I love the interview as a whole. I think
3: that, yeah, that's the thing from spending this past year being in the locker room every every practice, every game. Like, you're always going to get JT Miller, and you're always going to get probably the, like, if you're, being, if you're being straight about it, the most honest quotes probably from that locker room came from JT Miller last yeah. year, right? Like, I, I think, like, obviously the Quinn Hughes comments last year about the Tanner Pearson situation, those were very honest comments as well, but if you're looking for a player talking about what's going on around the team and you don't want it to be watered down at all, JT Miller is your guy for that in this locker room. Do I take that and extrapolate it to being the captain of this team? No. No, I still don't do that. I, I think... Listen, calling out a media member, and I guess it's not you since you guys are buddy buddy. I thought it, I thought it was you. He was talking about really a couple. Of, no, I'm just kidding, Harm. Obviously not. I know he likes you. Uh, we all know who it is, but uh, and it's not Drance. I, Drance I, is good. Everybody, everybody in the is. comments. I is actually saying Drance. don't
0: know who this is.
3: I could guess. It's not
0: Drance. I'll tell no, you that. It's, I don't I, think
3: it's Drance either. He does have. Drance
0: a good has a good relationship with him too. So I did
3: laugh at it. Like I, uh, I
0: actually genuinely don't know who he's referring to though. Uh, maybe you'll have to tell me after.
3: <laughs> we might have to do a little Patreon special after. I think we could talk our way through and find the answer. Uh, but no, that's that's a funny thing. Was every reply was like at to like all of them were adding Drance. and I'm like, it's not Drance. Like you know, Drance and, and Miller actually have a pretty good relationship together. Um, but that's the thing. I, I mean, from the interview, I, I took away a lot. And let's play the clip um, of him just th- listen. This is being honest about pretty much his time since he got to Vancouver, saying that they could have wrote a book about. Everything that's gone about about the Vancouver Canucks in the last little bit. And we'll probably see it happen. We'll probably see somebody write a book. Weggs is already working on his other book about the draft. This is the next story here. Uh, but, uh, Aaron, if we got the video, let's get it up here. JT Miller, this is just his comments. Uh, and then we'll we'll kind of move on from this, because I think a lot of this has been talked about throughout the week, but it's our first show since doing it. But here's JT Miller talking about they could write a book about the past couple of Vancouver Canucks seasons. Our start uh you know, Travis getting fired two years ago, I guess, to, to Bruce coming in, and then the whole shit show with Bruce at the end
0: of his tenure. I don't even know what to say. It was just so bad. And I got, it's just another season I want to just kind of erase. I mean, I'm glad that, I, I mean, up until the point where Rick, I mean, everything just changed when Rick got there. So, I mean, up until then, I mean, it's amazing how things, I mean, you
3: write one article and then all of a sudden the city believes one thing and then it becomes healthy again. So it's, uh, I don't know. I'm I'm definitely excited that we're kind of turned the page and move on and can put some things in the past. I mean, with the deadline and all the rumors about people getting traded and uh, I was just, it's just a shit show to say the least. Apologies to the kids out there, right? This is a family show. We don't swear on the show, but uh, JT Miller accidentally did my bad. I should have, I should have clipped those out. So apologies for children in the car. Um, You'll learn that word at some point in your life. Anyways, um, anything else you want to do in the JT Miller? I feel like there's a lot of time that's been spent on it. Like I I appreciate him being honest. I, I don't, Go away from that interview and say, "Yeah, he's the captain now." Yeah, I, I did. Fi- like, I really think that, like I said, Cam Strick did a really good job pumping his tires for that interview. They got him to be honest. They just they did a very good job as that type of media of like we're buddies with you. And you know, yeah. tell us what you want. They did a really good job. I'll give them credit for that for sure. Uh, but even like some of the, the things where they were talking about JT Miller, like being the leader, and it's nice to have like the young guys like Elias Pedersen and and Quinn Hughes helping him along the way. I'm like, mm, <laughs> I think those two guys are the ones driving the bus here, man. Like Miller's a, a player that helps them along the way. I think. But uh, overall, yeah, it was nice to get some content for us in the very dry part of the season. So uh, we'll move on to something that. Uh, You've been writing about this at The Athletic, and it's obviously a conversation that's on a lot of Canucks folks' minds, maybe in kind of that worrying part of your brain. It's it's kind of keying up the anxiety. With Elias Patterson and his contract coming up here, he's into the final year now. He's going to be an RFA after this year. Where are you at with when this gets done, and do you think that they're kind of talking between a bridge deal that maybe lines up with Quinn Hughes' contract or a long-term deal? Is that something they can possibly get done? Where do you think they're at right now with this contract? Is is conversations, do you think they're even being had between the general manager and the agent?
0: Yeah, I think right now the sense that I get is it's more of a wait-and-see uh, approach. I imagine that as we get closer to September that those talks will pick up. Because you've got to remember, right, the Canucks had a ton of business to take care of through June, through July, even to this point. Right. right? You're seeing it today with the news that came out. So they've had a lot of things to take care of. I mean, even look at it from um, J.P. Barry's perspective, Pedersen's agent. He has a ton of clients to be managing, including at the draft and in for agency. Then he's picking up Vladimir Tarasenko as a client. Those negotiations went deep. Then you want to take some time to sort of relax, right? Both management and the agent after a- absolutely crazy past couple months from their perspectives. And then it's like, okay, before camp's open, let's actually start talking. So that's right. that, that makes sense to me as a timeline for discussions to actually get going and for us to get a sense of where negotiations are at. Ultimately, the ball's in Peterson's court, right, in terms of he has the power and leverage of does he want to sign before the start of the season? Because that's ultimately the biggest question – that I have going into these negotiations is how willing is he to sign a contract versus potentially letting the year play out, yep. knowing that he's still under contract. And it's not as if he's expiring as a UFA from his perspective, he's still an RFA. It's, it's not,
3: he's going to be in a Canucks Jersey he's this gonna year be in a and Nucks next jersey. year so
0: sure. That that's a critical question, right? Because I think then if you enter a scenario where, he's perhaps let's say in more of a wait and see. And I want to see how the year plays out. I want to see the direction of the franchise and whether we're headed in the right direction, because let, let's not kid ourselves. He really wants to be in a winning environment. And sure. this franchise has to show that they're headed in that direction. So he has to weigh right now. And in having conversations with agents, it's a fascinating decision for a player in Patterson shoes, because it isn't a black or white thing because look, On the one hand, on paper, there is a lot of incentive to potentially waiting to see how things play out, right? Because, again, you get a sense of where the team is at because why would you, for example, want to sign an an eight-year deal before you know whether this franchise has gotten its crap together or not? Sure. Uh, And second, the leverage just just tips in your favor. The longer this goes on, the more pressure is on the team. You're probably going to position yourself to earn more money. You might... Get to see what Matthews makes yep. on his next next contract. And when you look at what Matthews did on his last deal, right? There are 15 players when I last checked on Cap Friendly that if that are on a $10 million or higher cap hit.
1: Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones. Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight.
0: Only two of those 15, Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, signed for less than max term. Hmm. So that goes to show you right there, Matthews on his last contract, he got the 11.6 and change on the AV. He got the exact AV he wanted, and he was able to limit the terms to five years and walk himself to UFA. That was the mo- one of the most player-friendly contracts we've seen a star player sign over the last, I can't even r- remember, last half decade. And maybe.
3: players that are in that position of the league they have the, the power to be able to swing like that. Like they can get, they should be they able to get themselves it. that deal. And Matthews yeah.
0: was, was the first one, in my opinion, to semi flex it. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, if I'm Pedersen's agent right now, I have no idea how his camp is thinking. I have no idea what he himself is thinking. I'd be really curious to see and almost wait to see what Matthews does. Because if he, right now, McKinnon at 12.6 is like a ceiling. Right? Yeah. Because there's no way, as a, as a player in Pedersen's situation, you can look at McKinnon as a cup winner, the caliber of player that he is, probably the second best player in the NHL. Like, that's such a hard cap on your earning potential. Whereas if Matthews signs and he's able to push to 13, 13 and a half, whatever the number is, that's going to pull up guys like Pedersen with him. So, anyway, there's that potential incentive to waiting.
3: Yeah. What, sorry, just to add, like, to add to that, what it does in my eyes is like, you're climbing the mountain of how much money you're making. Right now, you're at the top with, with McKinnon, and you're not. Pedersen's not going to beat that.
0: Yeah, no chance. He
3: can get close to it. He w- he could get very close to it. He could be in the 11s, but you're right. If Matthews goes 13 and a half, then that's higher up the mountain. That's higher up for Pedersen to reach and still not be the top guy anymore. So I uh, I but I want to push back a little because yeah, I think it's it's a spot that's really good for Pedersen if he plays well, and I also think it's kind of good for the Canucks is right now. If I were to just say, okay, like if you got both parties together, like a deal needs to be done right now, I think it would be a four year deal, five year deal, that type of thing, Mm -hmm. three, four, five year deal. But I think if we go through a season and things go well, you're talking about an eight year deal for Pedersen. Like a good season, everything is, you know, there's no distractions around the team. The organization runs and takes steps in the right direction all season long. You're talking about an eight year deal. I don't think that's where I'm leaning right now of what a deal that I think is going to happen for Pedersen, if it happens in the next four months or whatever. I have a feeling it's going to be four or five years or three, four years type of thing. But I think if you do wait a season, there's a better chance of it being eight years.
0: Well, maybe I don't know if I, at least from the club's perspective, I would not be looking at that because then you're, you're banking on, okay, we got to get our crap to get together this year. Sure. That's a big but assumption. That,
3: that's what Patterson wants though. Like that yes, is exactly but what I'd he wants be. If York. I'm
0: in the team's position, I'm I'm pushing aggressively as possible to try and get an eight year deal done. Yeah. Um, and what I'm saying is, I don't season. think I
3: don't think the Pedersen camp is in the spot right now to to feel confident about going in eight years. Like right now, I don't think they are.
0: Uh, I, absolutely, that's a, that's a valid I would concern. Have to. That's just what, my view way, on it. Uh, Absolutely, the what you what I'd be trying to do from the Canucks though is, man, if you if you're looking at eight years and you give him even 11 and a half million, sure. yeah. right? At that point, you're talking the 90-ish million range in guaranteed total money. You sign on the dot right now. Man, that's a crap load of money to turn down. And one thing it I is. will say is it was interesting in having conversations with agents they're like, a lot of times when you just put a massive, like a, you just back up the Brinks truck and you're just dropping bands on bands on bands and you just push it, like in front of the player's face, it's tough to say no, even when saying no might be in the client's best interest in terms of long-term maximizing right. their their paycheck. It's so like you when just got...
3: When you're buying something off of someone and you're like cash in hand right now, like I, here's the money. This exactly, is the deal that'll make it happen. Exactly. A lot of the time they
0: take the deal. And, and that's the benefit with eight years is, right? It's like that's the largest total money you right. can offer him. And so I'd be, if again, if I'm the Canucks, as aggressive as possible. And the other reason too is... The flip side of the coin in terms of, okay, from Pedersen's situation, okay, that's the side of the reasons we mentioned of, okay, why a wait-and-see approach might make sense. The other side of it, though, is that not every player is wired for that type of pressure, for that type of weight, and sometimes guys just want that security. And the other thing to keep in mind is, like, one agent brought the point up that if he has a client in Pedersen's situation, he's saying, you got to look yourself honestly in the mirror and go, if there's a scenario where I've got struggling out of the gate, two points in ten games, how how panicky am I? Mm. How much pressure am I putting on myself? Can I still perform through the rest of the season? All all of those mental sort of health factors, do I want all that buzz around me, all those storylines? Do I want it being a potential distraction for for my teammates? And for a lot of guys, the answer is no, especially in a big Canadian market, right? Yeah. And this is where
3: I think we'll players, never... players in Vancouver, or Toronto, it's nice for them to go to the media and never have to talk about a contract. Yeah, you just think get he it wants done.
0: to, like, I would hate if I was in his position. First day of camp, what's Patterson's going to be asked about? It's a contract situation.
3: You know that's happening this year. That's why I almost wonder. Like, I, I wonder if they start to get together soon about this. Because let, let's be honest, a contract like this, and we'll bring up the Sebastian Ajo one, actually. We can just get it up here on the side. But, like, a contract that is going to be this big, this long, whether it is five years, four years, three years, eight years, you don't get this deal done over the phone, I don't think either. Oh, this no. is one that you have to meet in person for. So I can get what you're saying with J.P. Barry not getting a deal or not getting around this. I bet he's going to want to meet with Patrick Alvin in person, whether yeah. it's in Vancouver or down in L.A. at their offices. Like They're going to want to get together. But I think we've kind of established at this point, if we do see an eight-year deal for Pedersen, this is below the floor in my eyes, what Sebastian Alho just signed for at $9.75 million. Pedersen's clearly getting in the tens if he yeah. signs right now on an eight-year deal. I I would be curious to see, like I would, if the Canucks announced in twenty minutes from now, as they like to do their Friday news dumps, or maybe they're saving it for next Friday. But if they announced right now that Pedersen assigned an eight-year extension at eleven and a half million dollar cap it, I'd be like, massive awesome. dub, awesome, yeah. They would be having a couple of very good weeks, and I have to think at eleven and a half million dollars, you brought it up, like you're you're getting that ninety million dollar statement at the end of that contract that you're signing I have to feel like Pedersen would probably want to sign that too so I wonder That's what the holdup thing. would be like what is Vancouver trying to nickel and dime, dime him because these are the players you don't do that no way.
0: well I mean naturally with negotiations right you're never going to make your best offer right off the bat Very like true. you're, you're going to make your best offer whether it's a company everybody knows this you're going to get your the the best offer closer to the the deadline and, and I think the first sort of like unofficial deadline we're looking at is probably the start of training camp, right. As, right. as it often sort of is. And and that's what we even saw when you look at JT Miller finally signing, right. Was that was a deal done around Labor Day weekend. It was early September. Yep. So uh, I have no doubt in my mind that the Canucks have probably not made their best offer yet. And they'll, they'll probably make their best offer closer to sometime in, in September I don't think it's a case of nickel and diming at all. It's just standard negotiating practice. And I'm, again, going to be interested to see just how how confident is Patterson sort of betting on himself and how does he even view the logic of signing eight years versus a medium-term deal? Because I'll tell you this, if you're trying to maximize the amount of money you make, signing shorter term is almost a no-brainer in terms of uh, – the direction of the cap, how much is it? It's expected to spike. You could ha- you could have a salary cap higher than ninety million in three or four years, yep. plus more contract comparables in the meantime. And on top of that, you're hitting the open market again in your twenties. At twenty eight, you're going to get another mega deal. As opposed to if you sign an eight year deal, your next deal is at thirty two. You're not going to get another mega deal. No, you're not getting seven. So, years at that point.
3: well, you might, but.
0: That's another consideration that um, it really comes down to, like, how much does a guy value security in all of this? And if you're the Canucks, you're really hoping that a guy like Patterson values security, that he's that <laughs> personality type. Because if Patterson values security, he's more likely to want to sign before the start of the season, and he's more likely to want, want to take the massive paycheck for eight years as opposed to signing shorter term. The
3: only thing I could see is he's got the same agent as Quinn Hughes. Maybe we see a three-year extension, and then you're really talking about, okay, well, they're betting on themselves for those three years. And, hey, if things work out in Vancouver, they get huge contracts. If things don't work out in Vancouver, they're going to go get some money somewhere yeah. else and play for a contender. Quinn's going to be with the Devils playing with his brothers, and Patterson's going to find a fit somewhere else and be an absolute number one and be probably the biggest name in free agency that we've seen in years. I mean, they have options. You you mentioned it. You said, I think it might have been the first thing you said when I asked about this. The ball's in Peterson's court. Right? Yeah. And that's a tough thing for an organization to be put in, but to me it has to start with a blank check and let's get an eight year deal done and let's not worry about it. Let's let's talk about this in twenty thirty five yeah. when you're twenty four years old. How yeah. old will you be then? And an eight year
0: contract in, from here. What year I'll we'll be
3: you? almost forty. So just eight years from now. How old are you? Eight now? years
0: from now, I'm I'm twenty three right now.
3: So you'll be in your thirties if they get yeah. an eight year deal done. Wow. Okay. It creeps up on you harm it creeps up on. You. Uh, <laughs>
0: that's eight years from now man yeah
3: it's, it, it is a while actually we'll, we'll have some we'll have a couple days in between there uh i do want to get to uh something that we wrote about uh or something that i put together here with some graphics i told you to give me your ideal top six and i thought it was kind of nice to have uh, i mean it was incredible to get the suitor signing before this show because it gave us something some live news to talk about instead of last week the the news and notes we literally did on the show was a photo of uh, Archer Silov's new statue situation. Like, art set up outside of the arena there uh in Riga, which is, by the way, oh, awesome. Oh, is that
0: actually a thing? Yeah, it's like him wow, and his pads amazing. covering
3: the net, and there was photos of people, like, bowing down that's to him cool and That's cool as hell, man. It's very cool. I didn't see I, that. I don't know if, if it's a good idea, and I mentioned this last week on the show, but just go to Archer Silov's Instagram, and not, like, his post, but the ones that he's tagged in. Everybody in Latvia is going nuts for this oh, that's guy. that's awesome, so, man. Um, interesting thing, and, and I do want to talk a little bit of Silas but I don't think we're going to have time today because uh, there's a lot of stuff we can get into with him as the offseason goes on. But we did Listen, our top six. not sixes. quads, man.
0: I know it's true. Uh, no no we goalie go. talk here today. But yeah, I was going
3: to say, well, I thought you were going to say you have nowhere to be, so we're going to be here for a while. But uh, we'll go for another 20 minutes or so here. Um, and we'll spend some time on the top six. We'll start with yours. And I was happy that we had different top sixes. gives us something to argue about a little bit um, or discuss politely, whatever you want to call it. We'll start with your top six. Let's get the graphic up here, Aaron, uh, from Harm's top six. You're going with Anthony Bavillier, Elias Pettersson, and Andre Kizmenko on the top line. Your second line, Ilya Mikheyev, JT Miller, and Brock Besser. So you're go- let's start with the top line there. We've spent a lot of time yeah. on Pedersen. Let's talk about his wingers in your ideal top six. Anthony Bovillier is the one that surprised me a little bit. Not, not a ton. Yeah. I, I get some people are putting him there, but he's the name that I don't think... Like Kuzmenko's a lock beside Pedersen. Yeah. I feel like Bovillier, like, that spot's kind of open. Why did you choose to put him there on Pedersen's
0: line? It's it's because I trust Pedersen and Kuzmenko enough to drive that line, and I think Mikhaev offers more value in lifting the second line than Mm. Beauvilliers would. It's more about spreading the talent for me rather than completely loading up one line. And the the reason I say that is because I think that second line, Miller, Besser, Mikheyev, you're probably, based off what we saw from Talkit and even Boudreau beforehand, Miller's probably going to go up against the other team's best lines. Even if it's not in a hard match role, he's going to get a lot of, you know, opening night. He's he's going to get a lot of McDavid and dry settle. And if he's doing that, he needs more speed on his wings. You look back at why the Canucks had a disastrous start last season. and, And Miller was on for all the first eight goals against. It wasn't just Miller. It was the fact that, okay... He had no help on his wings from a defensive perspective. Brock yeah. Besser, who's typically pretty reliable and who I'd expect to bounce back from a two-way perspective, had by far his worst defensive season of his career, right? Struggled with turnovers and, and and all sorts of things. So Miller didn't have that help. And Tanner Pearson had just lost a step, right? He was too slow. And that line is a whole foot speed-wise. Besser is not fleet of foot. You need more speed on that line, in my opinion. And that's where Mikheyev... And, of course, a lot of this hinges on, okay, how healthy does he look in camp coming back from his ACL surgery? Big time, yeah. Hopefully he still has that pop and explosiveness in his stride. That's a big assumption. But if he does, then he's going to add that speed on the forecheck and, and providing a lot of the dirty work, in my opinion, that that line needs, especially in consideration of his defensive chops and how disruptive he is, how many battles he wins. Again, you're, you want to talk about who's going to match McDavid's speed, I would like the idea of entrusting Mikhaev in this type of checking role.
3: Yeah. I, I can see where you're coming from that. It makes a lot of sense. I I guess the only thing I look at is with Beauvillier playing with Pedersen. you still want your best offensive player to be in the best offensive position. And you bring up a very good point with balancing out the top six, and I agree with you that Mikhaeev does help do that. I don't think Beauvillier is like the like I think Bovillier is a little bit more of a trusted defensive mind. Like you can play he's a Solid defensively, he's not going to blow you away He's not Mikhaev's level, that's for sure um, I don't think I had Bovilier in my top six And that was kind of the the interesting thing When I saw yours And I, and I kind of knew where you were going to go with this I had a feeling you were going to talk about balancing out that second line And bringing some defense there And that's true I just felt like in mine I loaded up the top six a little more We'll get mine up here now too Uh I loaded up the top line a little bit more with more offense. I did Kazmeko at left wing, Pedersen there in the middle, and then Mikheyev on the right wing. And that's where I struggled because I was like, I don't know if I love Bavillier on the second line. I could see him being on the third line. And now with P.S. Suter coming in, I like that even more now. I like Bavillier and Suter on a third line with Connor Garland. Like That feels like a third line that should beat a lot of other teams' third line. So I went with Pod Coles in sliding into the top six. And I know that's a, a difficult spot, but I think that after the season that he just had, kind of understanding the person he is, the player he is, the, the work ethic that this guy carries, I think he's coming back this year hard. Like, he, he has to in his own right, and it's certainly possible that he flops because think about last year going into the season. Not only were we talking about Pod Colson being the guy who steps up and, and really kind of takes over and takes that big step, like NHL.com articles were talking about players who are going to have a breakout season. And I remember the silly Pod Colson was the title photo that they used for that article. Like, he was primed to have a big step up last year, and it just didn't happen. He had to spend a decent amount of time in the AHL. But I like him on Miller's wing, and I like him with Brock Besser kind of as well because you're looking at that defensive help, and I guess I'm banking on Colson in my situation. You probably feel a little bit more confident about yourself because you're banking on Mikheyev. I would rather bank on Mikheyev's defensive play than Vasily Colson's, but I don't feel horrible about having him on the second line because I do think that that puts him in a position to be a top-six forward. And if Pod Colson or Niels Hugliner, you could use his name as well, if one of those two players is a top six forward for you, really helps the third line. and It really helps the winger depth on this team. So that's why I put Pod Colson into my top six.
0: I like the idea of sort of Bavillier and, and Suter, and now you've got a great third line. I disagree with Pod Colson in top six role, unless he takes a massive step. Right. And I expect him, obviously, to be better than he was last season. But you're penciling in a guy that, that had seven points last season. <laughs> seven NHL points uh, in You your got top me there, Harm. I'll give you that I, one. I just can't, <laughs> I, I can't get over that, right? Yeah. And not to mention, you're throwing him almost to the wolves, right? Because, again, that line's going to play toughs. And he has the potential to become a good defensive player. He's not there yet. He's still inconsistent. The work rate is always there, but he is not He's just not quite there yet. I mean, look at... And the coaching staff doesn't have the trust in him yet, which I think they should have had more trust in him down the stretch especially. But even in the second half, when the games didn't matter, he was playing seven, eight, nine minutes night. Do you think Rick Tockett, day one, opening night, JT Miller, you're going up against Connor McDavid, do you think he's tapping Vasily Podkos on the shoulder? I just... I think it's a lot to ask for. Again, I'm not saying that Pod Colson is incapable of a breakup because we're seeing the amount of work he's putting in. Yep, stayed, Such a good kid. in Vancouver again this summer. I, I expect him to take a step this year, but penciling him, him in top six right away, he had seven points last year, man.
3: Didn't have a child last year, though, Harm. He's got the dad strength now. I'll have, I have to make some sort of argument against him. <laughs> you got me good with that seven points thing. I'll give you that. We uh, There's some other comments in here as well. I asked people to mention their top six. Uh, Vince says Pod Podkolzin, Pedersen, Kuzmenko as his top line, uh, Mikheyev, Miller, and Garland as the second line. I can, I can see that happening too. That doesn't have Brock Besser in the top six. Um, and what does that mean for a third line if Brock Besser's in that spot? Because I, I do think that there is a, as, as much as Connor Garland's game seems to not really fit with anyone, the guy that it fits with the best is JT Miller, I think, when they do play together. Yeah. Like, I think that's where Garland can be a little bit, but then, in my eyes, that's why this line makes a lot of sense for me, because McKay is on that line to help them out as well defensively and kind of be in the right position at all times. But in my my lines, you're right. Putting Pod Colson on a line with JT Miller and Brock Besser, whose defense can be questioned at times for sure. Uh, I know we've talked about Brock Besser making a lot of improvements in that realm, but he's still not, like, dominant defensively. Like, he's not at that level. He probably will never be at that level. But – I don't. Yeah, I think it's interesting to think about it with Brock Besser out of the top six because it's I don't like possible. It you don't because
0: think so. Brock Besser's at his best when he is not the best player on his line. Mm. You look at him; he's a complimentary guy. He's like yeah. he, he he reminds me a lot of almost Toffoli, right? Where he doesn't have the speed, right? He's not going to make dynamic plays on his own, but he's a guy that's smarter on the net and can get open and can complement elite skill, right? You look at. When he's played his best, it was a lot of line, even in the shortened 56 game season when it was away from uh, Pedersen. He still played a lot with uh, JT Miller. And you look back at last season when he was, whenever he was playing third line and he was stuck with like Sheldon Dries. And the hope there is okay, Brock Bess, you're a true top six talent on the third line. Let's hope you can drive this line. It never worked. No, it didn't. And it didn't, whereas with Garland, in the second half we saw especially, when he was sort of like the lone passenger sort of driving a third line, he was able to make it happen. He was able to produce 5-on-5 offense because he's more of a a self-starter in terms of generating his own chances and being able to lug the puck, transport it, carry it, make plays, set guys up. Uh, He's more of an independent contractor, whereas Besser, I think, is more reliant on talent, like a, a JT Miller, to get him the puck, and, um, and be at his best.
3: Uh, get to some comments here. Tim Jones says, Pod and Abby for me. Pod's on the second line is a deal breaker for me, uh, is what Tim says. And Tim says, I can actually see Hug winding up in a middle six role. So I had this, uh, I was on Sportsnet 650 last couple days hosting with uh, Josh Elliott Wolf, and his top six had Phil Giuseppe in it, and I thought that was wild. Um, but it kind of brought up another conversation that I wanted to at least throw your way. Out of these... Let's just go with two players in Vasily Pod Colson and Nils Huglander. Who's more likely to be on the outside looking in on opening night? Because is Pod Colson. I think the worry would be can Huglander play fourth line for Rick Tockett? Can yeah. he fit in that role? I think Pod Colson probably can a little bit more. But is there a, a view right now of Huglander of him even being a legitimate possibility in a top nine role? When you have Pod Colson that I think is above. On a lot of people's depth charts than, than Niels Huglander, and don't get me wrong, I listen. I watched him a ton in the AHL. I loved what Huglander did developing last year. I also don't think it was it uh, it fixed everything. That AHL run didn't cure his defensive worries. It probably helped them a little bit, but it didn't cure everything. So I'm going into next season. In my eyes, I have Pod Colson being more of an option in the top nine than Huglander. But I've seen this comment and Tim's one that I'm bringing up here from the YouTube chat. I've seen this comment a little bit more and more. People saying Pod Colson's not even going to be in the opening night lineup. And I, I it sounds crazy to me, but do you give any thought to, out of those two players, which one's more likely to be on the outside?
0: It's a good question. It's going to be, obviously, determined in camp. That's a, that's a, that, that, that's a smart-ass totally. answer. But right now, if I were sort of viewing it, I would say Hoaglander probably has a tougher road. Because... Again, for starters, Pod Colson's physicality and size makes him a, a better fit, probably, in, in more of a grinding, fourth-line type role alongside a Dakota Joshua. He Hoglander also probably has more defensive concerns in terms of his puck management, turnovers, and in-zone defensive play. Mm-hmm. And the other part that I was considering when they signed Suter was, okay, let's say you hypothetically have Suter and Garland as your two fixtures on uh, on a third line right now. Would Tockett feel comfortable with Hoaglander as a third piece on that because Garland is undersized, Suter is slightly undersized, and then yep. Hoaglander would be undersized. Yep. I don't think he'd want to play three small guys on a line together.
3: Yeah. I mean, unless you're just trying to like barrage a team with offense And a third-line role. Rick Tockett doesn't seem like that, yeah, that, 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 that type that's of guy, right? He's is...
0: like... D- I want. Don't you think he would be like, "Oh, I need some meat and potatoes. Give me Phil DiGiuseppe, yeah, over there." Who, by
3: the way, and I, I want to. I say this as much as I can. Phil DiGiuseppe is not five foot ten; like he's six foot two.
0: He's a he's a big body
3: size guy. I think uh, because he, he seem like a Rick Tockett guy, he does totally. But I, I think I think people look at PDG and they think of him as a quad A player. And I think when you think quad A player, you immediately think like five foot ten scorer. And that's that's not what Phil DiGiuseppe yeah. is. He, he to me he's a fourth line NHL.
0: I think he's a good fourth liner.
3: Yeah, and. You're right. He is the type of player who's going to run through a wall for a coach, especially if that coach believes in him. And Rick Talkett absolutely believes in Phil DiGiuseppe. I just find it with so much more offensive talent on the wings. I, I actually see Phil DiGiuseppe potentially being the odd man out of that group. Like, I, I see him not even being on a fourth line. Yeah. I can see him being the 13th. Forward.
0: Oh, yeah. No, that that makes a lot of sense and to me. And the, now
3: with the P.S. Suter signing, like, Neil Zaman is now an extra player. He's probably the yeah. 13th forward because he can play center. He can. You can probably throw them on the wing if you really want to or whatever, so like the second center who's kind of their their fourteenth guy now, like it could be Phil Giuseppe. it could be Niels huglander it's just it's 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 very hard I think now to create your lineup and have both pod Colson and huglander in it like it, it's pretty hard to do
0: well, we also got to remember we're in August totally I remember last year we we came up with all these line combinations. <laughs> this is how the top nine is going to work. And oh my God, look at this depth. Like the season hasn't even started and Besser McKay ever hurt, Right. (laughs) Like that's the other thing (laughs) to keep in mind is right now you can look at it and be like, Oh, so many guys on the outside looking in, how is this going to work? How are guys going to get an opportunity? And it's like, you may not even have to wait till opening night for a lot of those answers to unfortunately become obvious. Yeah.
3: They'll, they'll play out the situation for us in the first place. Um, Okay, we're just uh, we're wrapping up here, so let's get to the poll question. Uh, brought to you by the great folks at Atlas Good. You can find them on Twitter at Atlas GDS, and you can use our promo code CC15 for 15% off your first order of pop rinds. They are absolutely delicious, uh, the pork rinds. You make them in your air fryer. You make them in your microwave. It takes a couple minutes, like two minutes, a minute 30. You pop them out, popcorn seasoning, whatever you want to do. Dip them in some tzatziki, I've heard, is a little trick you can do, which sounds great to me. I'm a big tzatziki guy. We're having uh, we're having gyros. Is that what you call them? The gyros? They pronounced gyros. I think they're I like the know. wraps. Oh yeah, you only eat peanut butter and jelly. Um, uh, yeah.
1: Okay.
0: I'll still try. <laughs> oh, wait, this is a side note. Yeah. I uh, I fell in love with hot sauce yesterday. Really? What kind? Yeah. Uh, the sriracha. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's it's funny because I've all you know I've always been a ketchup loyalist. Yeah. And I don't handle spice very well, so I've typically anytime I'm like. People are like, oh, using hot sauce. Like my right. dad loves hot sauce, or friends love hot sauce, and I'm like, oh, but I don't know if I'm gonna like it. And then, because I expect it to be spicy as hell, right? Mm-hmm. But this sriracha, whatever hot sauce, I, I tried it with uh, with chicken thighs. And I've obviously tried hot sauce before, but man, there was just something different about how it hit. I was like, man, this is a nice kick. And even my and not
3: like, with sriracha, you get some flavor too. It's yeah, not just the kick. Yeah, and, and
0: it's it, it's perfect because I'm like, even my not liking spicy flavors, yeah, self-loved, and not, could easily take that. Like, that's much. not really hot sauce. I feel like
3: everybody has this in their life where they try sriracha, or not not necessarily even try, but, like, commit to using it often, and you'll have a good two-year stretch of your life. Like, the next two yeah. years of your life, Harm, you're going to have a lot of sriracha. You'll have it on robin. You'll have it on chicken. You'll have it on uh, even some, some eggs. I like it on eggs. But, like, then you... Then I think you graduate to other hot sauces. But it, it's kind of like the, it's the entry. It's the entry, into, yeah. Yeah, it is the hot sauce world's opening. And now you're walking into it. But I bet the next two years you're going to put it oh, dude. on everything. As, Just uh, like Frank ketchup said. used to be. Yeah. Um, all right, we'll dive into uh, Jace's just Giuseppe is six foot, not six foot two. Yeah, you can go off a, a website; will tell you that. But I've stood beside the guy, so I don't, I don't know big what dude. to tell you. He's he's absolutely six foot one, six foot two ish type of range. Uh, if I'm six foot three, he's pretty much as tall as I am. So it's you know I don't know what the websites are telling you, but a lot of them. It's funny because a lot of them I feel like if you're if you're five, just foot, like
0: Quentin Hughes. I'm like Bud, dude. I don't think
3: <laughs> yeah. I, I'm five ten. I don't think you're five ten, Bud. No, there's a lot of these uh, sites that. Are, that's the weirdest thing for me is guys that are. Players that are, I think, six foot two are often put at six foot or six foot one. And sorry if this is boring. This is like behind the scenes stuff, but I, I just bl- it blows me away. That's why I go with my test of like, okay, I'm six foot three. If a player is taller than me, they're a very big player in the NHL. Like they're a big player. Like you know, when Tyler I walk Myers. when I walk by Tyler Myers, it's like, hey, okay, he is a big player. When I stood beside Luke Shen when he was wearing shoes, like I was still bigger than Luke Shen, and obviously I'm like a hundred pounds heavier. Can you
0: than play me? right shot D?
3: I can't. I'm a left shot guy. And, uh, and hey, I'm a, I'm a sniper. That's a, I would just add <laughs> to the talented uh, offensive wingers uh, on the team. But uh, what I'm getting to, it, let's get to the poll question here uh, a little bit. As uh, You probably put Sriracha right on the, uh, on the pork rinds as well. Uh, our poll question brought to you by the great folks there at Atlas Goods. Uh, AtlasGDS.com. Use that promo code CC15. Just try them. Maybe one of the 142 people watching on YouTube. Try them. You you probably hate pork rinds because they come in that the ones that come in the yellow bag, they're trash. These ones from Atlas GDS, they're excellent and they're live and fresh out of the air fryer. Our question: What is the training camp battle that you are most intrigued by? I put this up before the signing of Pius Suter. I wonder if the three C conversation could have been one we could have dove into. The three options that I gave uh, were third pairing left shot D. Martin versus Seelovs for the backup, or other, and I asked people to specify in the replies, which we'll get to in just a minute. Uh, But running away with the poll was third-pairing left-shot defenseman. 53% of people voted for that. Spencer Martin versus Seelovs, 27% of people said they were intrigued by that. 4% 4% of people voted other, and then 15% of people said, I'm angry. Let's get to some of the replies before we get your uh, your response here, Arm. We did have a bunch of replies. This one from Aaron Cassidy says, I honestly think Bluger versus Joshua. Joshua showed promise to move up the lineup, but Bluger seems like the established 3C. As we mentioned, this was a little bit before the suitor signing. Uh, Tim said Miller's wingers, which we kind of argued with uh, a little bit before here with our top six. Uh, Bart Harley Jarvis says first line winger with Pedersen and Kuzmenko. Hey, that's something we argued about as well. So I feel like the replies are very good. Uh, and then Riles said my boy Willanen is going to be the third pairing lefty. Snell says there's no three LD battle. Hughes Cole Susie is the left side. Hronik, Myers and Julesen slash Willannon slash Irwin is the right side. What's the one that you're looking forward to the most this year for like an actual training camp battle? And I talked. I actually had a good conversation with this after we talked to Kevin Woodley yesterday on 650. I, I can't see a goalie battle being really won or lost. Like I can't see it being won in training camp. I can only see it being lost. Like lobs can play as good yeah. as you think at training camp, but he can't win a job. I mean, at he could. Camp. I, I he think it's more I mean, about Spencer losing the job. It's more about Martin losing the job. I think a goaltender can lose a job a lot easier than win a job at training camp.
0: Maybe, but it's also interesting how many times Alvin has straight off the bed, uh, straight off the bat, said, "I'm." Like he said it at the end of the season, and he repeated it again on July first. In fact, Loves was the first name he mentioned when the idea of the backup situation was mentioned. Good point. That they're comfortable if uh, if he's ready to play in Vancouver, especially type of dominant world championships performance that he had this summer. I for me, it's a backup position because look, the third pair LD like it's going to be interesting. It's going to be fascinating, fascinating. But I also feel like we've talked about it a lot. Yeah, and. Ultimately, the backup role is more important than third uh, than uh, third line uh, or third pair LD because ultimately, especially given how up and down Demco has been health wise, like man, we saw last year how much the the second and the second string goalie in that in that case Martin had to all of a sudden play the, a starter's workload. Yeah once uh once Demko went um went down so that's such a huge important position and so and you're also going to need that level of trust because I don't want to see a scenario where Demko is playing let's say like 65 games just for the Canucks to get into the playoffs because let's say you get into the playoffs but if Demko's gassed and he's not at his freshest what's going to happen in the playoffs
3: no, and we had, a, we had a good conversation. We did a roundtable at Canucks Army and had this conversation. I found it interesting that there was only 13 goalies last year in the entire league who started 50 or more games. 50. Not even like yeah. 62, like you just said. There was only 13 goalies. And I can see Thatcher Demko being one of the top 13 goalies in the league for oh, starts yeah. easily. I can see him being over 50 for sure. But the 60 number is, it's, it's almost like I'm... If I you feel can like, keep
0: them below 60, that's amazing.
3: Yeah, every month that goes by in the offseason, I feel like I take a game off. And I'm at the <laughs> point now where I'm at like 53. 50, like I, no, I, I settled on low. like 52. That's what no, I thought for no, starts. No.
0: It's like the over... If I had to set an over-under, I'm not a betting guy, but yeah. just term everybody. We'll get understand. to the bet way bet no minute. Um, it'd be 60. Like That's, that's what I'm looking at. Because, look, the head coach is going to ride. Like He needs to win. He's going to ride the goaltender. Yeah, so I'll make the point. I did
3: mention 13 goalies were 50 or more. There was seven NHL goalies last year who made 60 or more stars. Yeah, especially a so team like probably, the Canucks. Like, yeah. They're
0: going to be right on the edge. Yeah. They're going to be on the margins, presumably, uh, in terms of whether they're in or not. So they're probably going to be more And let's fine. be
3: serious about it. He's going to play so much at the end of the season that you almost have the first half of the year to establish who's going to be the backup for that final stretch when they're only playing a, wow. a game or two But or here's
0: three. the thing. We've seen the Canucks' starts. True. The Octobers and Novembers. So, so maybe <laughs> they play the wheels off them at <laughs> start.
3: <laughs> it's possible, but I, I do think that you're going to see, and Kevin Woodley brought this up, and I, I haven't really thought about this, but you can send Spencer Martin down at the start of the season, right? Like when you have the... When everybody sends their third yeah. string goalie down, he's probably not going to get picked up. Let's be honest; he's not, gonna, especially after the season he had last year. He's not going to get picked up on waivers. After that, and you might have to correct me if I'm wrong here, but I believe it's 30 days after you're waiver eligible. So you have the first month to like move him up and down. Like after you send a player down, they can't be they. They're pretty much wager are waivers uh, exempt for the next 30 days I, after I, a quick it start,
0: call. Yeah, it starts once you once you call him up. Yeah, so you'll days.
3: get him down. Then when you call him up, you can ride with Sealovs for a little bit. And and Woodley was saying like he – like not to write off the fact that Sealovs is the backup to start the season and that because of his waiver flexibility from the start, you don't have to worry about it. And once yeah. you get the waiver flexibility from Martin, you can bounce him around if you want or get get Martin to just come up and be a backup for games where he's not playing and then you get Sealovs down for like a week. Yeah. You can basically do it for a full – like I said, with that 30 days of waiver exempt time – you can have like a 30-day stretch of just playing the wheels off laws in the AHL if he's getting rusty or if he's not getting enough yeah. games. So there there are some more options than I think I, I've really thought about with the goaltending position, but let's not touch. Thank touch God they're an
0: avid rather than Utica. It opens up that flexibility. Big
3: time, exactly. Without that, yeah, they would not be able to do this. So, um, yeah, good stuff there. Uh, I got some comments here about the Sriracha I wanted to get to. Uh, Vince <laughs> says, uh, mix Sriracha and Ketchup. Yeah, oh, maybe. so you can do you that? Two favorite never, things. I mean, ah, I that's smart. I think that's good for like a, a burger put two and two together. Yeah. You put a burger together there uh, or anything like that. So I, I would go for that. So. Uh, I have
0: to give that a shot. No, absolutely. It, it, I think back. they even
3: have like spicy ketchup that is just like already pre-mixed. Uh, and we'll get to our poll question that we put up on the, uh, on the YouTube channel here. 28 votes. Who do you think won? You or me? Who had a better top six?
0: Well, I gotta bet on myself.
3: <laughs> <laughs> you gotta bet on yourself. Um, just like you have to bet on yourself. I bet on myself, and I tell you what—we're both not right. We're both not wrong. Fifty-fifty. Right oh, really? Down in the middle. So, you and me. Hey, people say how smart you are all the time. I just went fifty-fifty with you, so I don't know. We're in the same uh, same ad- same uh, atmosphere, if you ask me, um, but not really. Damn it! Well, no, actually, I just pulled away fifty-two percent. Call it right there. End it there, Aaron. Um, All right, let's get to our Betway Bet of the Day. Yeah, cut it off, cut it off. I'm voting. Oh, no, people are voting (laughs) back for you. And it finishes 30 votes 50-50 right down the middle. Uh, Um, All right, let's get to our Betway Bet of the Day. We got the Blue Jays facing off against the Chicago Cubs, so we're going to rock with Jose Barrios. I'm going with him getting eight or more strikeouts at plus three fifty. Ten dollar bet's going to return you forty five bucks. You get that on Betway. Betway. Betway must be nineteen plus to play and bet the responsible way. Just going with Barrios here because I feel like he's the type of guy who's going to step up after Alec Manoa got sent down to uh, AAA A today for the Blue Jays. Uh, and I'm going to say Barrios is the type of guy that I feel like uh, he's a big energy guy. And I think after one of your boys gets sent down and they obviously need, there's still a lot of things to work on with Manoa. Barrios is going to go out there and just shove it today. Like I think he's going to try and silence some of the uh, the loudness around the team, and he's just going to shove it. So I'm going eight plus strikeouts at plus three fifty. Ten dollar bet's going to return you forty five. Uh, must be pitchers are just 25.
0: like goalies, eh? In terms of the volatility,
3: really is it like, really is?
0: What other positions can you have a guy like? You're not going to have a franchise centerman, for example. Mm-hmm. Even in a down year, it's not like he's going to be so bad that it's like, oh, this guy's barely NHL caliber. But you can have that with goalies. Oh, totally. and you can Obviously now how that was there was one great, like throughout my too.
3: life and listen I I played baseball at a pretty high level I never got to professional ball or anything but you know got a scholarship and all these things and and I I was a, an okay pitcher up until when I was about seventeen and then something just happened where I just I couldn't throw strikes at all anymore like and I, and I never pitched after that I pitched one. I pitched this one game where I walked like nine batters in a row. They, Oof. It was a preseason game, so they actually just called the inning. I didn't even get three outs. Oh, wow. It was it was embarrassing as hell, and I never pitched again. I never pitched in one game after that, so I just lost it uh, after that. But uh, that wraps it up for our Betway Bets of the day. Uh, this weekend coming up here, as we close out, I'm heading down to watch uh, watch my boys, my BC Lions, playing tomorrow. So I'm excited for that. I'm going to get my uh, my suit sized up for the wedding going to get our suits all set. The groomsmen, they're all coming over. We're going to BC Lions uh, on the weekend. So, Harm, before we get uh, get out of here, you've already done so much this summer. What do you What do you do for the next couple of weeks here? Because we're about a month away from uh, from heading out to uh, Young Stars, which I'm very excited about. It's going to be a blast out there. Uh, and we're bringing golf clubs, too. We're playing again, you and I. Uh, but what do you got left here the last little month? Any more plans? Because you're on vacation right now. I have yeah. to expect this weekend's got to be something
0: yeah so i mean it's i'm gonna be going out i mean i i i here's the thing during the season you end up with such little free time yeah it's just and i'm not complaining about it because i i love what i do uh and i like the fast pace but you like and and whenever i do have precious little free time i'm like okay i want to have a social life so i'm going out and hanging out with friends going to events that sort of thing so i get very little downtime to just like Oh, I got the evening and I'm just going to kick my feet up on the couch and right. do nothing, right? So uh, just more of a relaxed pace. I mean, a lot of reading books, watching movies, hanging out at the beach, uh, again, going out, um, just just living my best life.
3: I love that. I don't want to add no, anything Nothing that. big. Let's but close just, out on you know, that. That's incredible whatever stuff. Whatever I want to do. Have you been to a – are you a Seas guy? I feel like uh, have you been to a Seas game? I've like, been to – th- I went
0: to three games last summer. And yeah. Yeah, so like that's – I haven't been to one this year, so yeah. got to okay. hit up one.
3: Yeah, I was looking at it yesterday because I was like, I could double-header the Lions into the C's, because Lions are at four. C's are at seven. So we'll see what happens. But I'll be at the Lions game. If you're going to the Lions game, uh, look for me. I'll be covered in all orange, and I'll be walking around with a claw. Claw in one hand, beer in the other. And then, uh, of course, I'm a mega fan. Like, I am I am a mega fan of the Lions. Oh I, my even got God. My, I got my BC Lions big old chain here.
0: Oh, you have to rock that.
3: And I rock this every time, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. it's awesome. Uh, it's my thing. I'm a big Lions fan. I, I love those games. I think uh, I think they're doing a great job. I mean, the fact that I live right beside the arena or beside the stadium makes it, like, really easy for me to go because, like, it's cheap tickets, really good time. Nothing flows like a BC, like a BC Place beer. I always say that. So I'm excited. If you're at the Lions game tomorrow, look for me. And, uh, yeah, that's it. We'll wrap it up on that note. Uh, Shout out to Aaron Bordado, our producer, done a great job over there. Uh, Quads will be back next week. I believe I will as well, but then I think down the road we'll get you and Quads to uh, do an episode. I'll be sitting over in the couch. You guys can come do it here. Uh, But uh, that wraps up here for my co-host, Harmon Dial, our producer, Aaron, over there at Oilers Nation HQ. My name is Chris Faber, and thank you to the Vancouver Canucks for giving us news right before the show, and thank you to you, The hundred plus listeners that we've had from start to finish here live on YouTube and the thousands of people will be listening to this on podcast as well. This has been another episode of the Canucks conversation.
2: Thanks for listening to Canucks conversation. Hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode.
1: How about keep it to a thank you, Jim.